Today's episode brought to you by BossPods.com. Want a podcast like a boss? We've got the inside word on how to set up a podcast that's actually worth something. We've got the industry's best to show you how. BossPods.com. Podcast like a boss. So you've just left um, Gone Adventuring. Correct. I mean, that's that's huge. You You spent so much time building that up and, and coming to arrive at that point, what's the kind of thinking behind closing that chapter and starting a new one? Actually, there's a long, a longer story that one day I'm sure I will come out and share all about it. Um, but I don't know. I mean, just looking forward, I, I think one thing that I really want to focus on is um, solving the global goals right? So solving the problems that the world really needs, you know, to figure out if we're going to basically survive as, as an ecosystem and as a species or whatever. So from that perspective, the two things for me that have just been consistent as problems is people have great visions, but they can't get them out there. And so from a storytelling perspective, as you know, as a filmmaker or whatever, it's basically just sharing those visions with the people that matter you know, and getting these ideas out there and scaling ideas that exist already. So I kind of just want to have my next company is going to just focus on that. How do we share these stories? And I don't really care about the platforms anymore and I don't care about the technology so much. Um, We need a lot more technology than traditional means. So I want to get more involved in that, more augmented reality and more virtual reality and more 360 degrees and just exploring and playing a lot more with different formats. So yeah, cross-platform storytelling is something that I really want to do. And then my business partner, she's basically just going to focus on that whole strategy and partnerships point of view. So partnering with people to actually get these ideas done. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess moving forward for me, it's just going back to what I've always done. Nothing nothing I've done has ever changed. I guess when there's ever been a big pivot in my life, it's normally just recentering to what I've always done. Happy day to you. Good listener. Happy week. Happy month. Happy podcast episode number 66 of Coming Up Next, the show where we talk about the real shit. Now get ready to go adventuring this week, my friends, as this week's guest has been all around the world making documentary films. She was one of the founders of Late Night Films and Gone Adventuring and is about to embark on a new project. Jumping into the chat caves this week, I, I don't know why French accent, is Jackie Hocking. And you can find Jackie on the Twitter at hashtag documentary or Jackie underscore Hocking as well as being able to find her work readily available on the World Wide Web, where you can also find the back catalogue of Coming Up Next podcast rambles at comingupnext.com.au, where you can also find links to iTunes, Stitcher and Podbean, where you can subscribe, rate and most importantly, review the show. It's podcast karma. What goes around finds its way back to you, like this segue back to my guest this week, the mega-inspiring, world-touring, adventuring, filmmaking mega-machine, Jackie Hocking. 
it seems like uh, this there's this great place that we're in technologically where uh, you know we can really create a lot of noise and disrupt the status quo or take control of the way that we would like to move things forward and and you you certainly are a, a great uh, facilitator and beacon of, um, of of that sort of thing I think through you know establishing late night films and and going around the world making documentaries and and then the work that you've done more recently is you certainly provided a lot of inspiration for people to be able to I think go after what they want and also to connect people and to create sustainable change through your work um, to kind of backtrack just a little bit I said in uh, in that that you were um, that you were one of the founding members of late night films I think you might be the first uh, sibling follow-up that I've that I've had on the podcast mm-hmm. I interviewed your brother Chris. <laughs> Uh, with awesome. Nick um, Collar from Late Night Films a few months ago. Uh, and so I'd love to hear, I suppose, awesome. from your point of view, obviously you and Chris grew up together and, and we've heard uh, what what it was like for him growing up and, and where the kind of draw and inspiration for filmmaking came from for him. But I'd love to know from your point of view, if you remember uh, when the first time that you told a story or made a film or did a performance or something that -hmm. you can remember from your childhood? Well, it's funny. So I actually don't remember this, but it was my grandmother. Yeah, so we grew up making films. And I think me and Chris and I mean, everyone in my family, we've been really lucky that we were really, yeah, just really, really lucky to grow up in a family that made us just so grateful for everything, you know, and um, especially our grandparents really raised us in a way that was, you know what, like we're so lucky to be, you know, to have food on the table. I'm not talking about big things, just really basic things and just not never taking life for granted and just being really excited by everything, you know. Um, and so filmmaking for us was just a way to kind of express that and pl- it was very playful and we used to do a lot of like, yeah, I think Chris, I don't know, I haven't heard Chris's one yet, but, you know, making our own version of Star Wars and all of these kinds of things. Yep. Um, and, and my grandmother told me years later that actually the first film that she could remember, because I remember making Star Wars, but she told me that the first documentary I made was interviewing her about the tree in her garden. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really cool for me because um, I think I was too young uh, at the time. But, I mean, how cool is that? Like the first film, I was so young, I barely remember doing it. So, I mean, storytelling and filmmaking for us has been something that we've really just... I don't know, latched onto when we were kids. And I definitely could have done something else in terms of, you know, this, like when you're a kid, you don't really know what to do. And I think we were blessed in a way by not having, I guess, I don't know, the financial me, or that's probably the wrong word, but it's just like limiting your opportunities is sometimes the best thing. By having limited means, it takes away a lot of decisions for you and you just go and focus on the work, you know, and you just go and get it done. Um, so for me, I think I was really inspired by my oldest brother, Chris, to just go out there and get to work. Like, you know, if, if I, I love travel, I always wanted to do, when I was a kid, I loved, you know, Nat Ge- National Geographic and 
my other middle brother, he always was really a massive um, academic and loved learning about animals and all of this kind of stuff. So it's like, yeah, I could imagine myself doing that role. But the problem was it didn't exist. Like the job I wanted didn't really exist yet because I was a bit too old, which is funny because I'm still super young, but like the digital era, like if you're born now or if you were born in, I don't know, late 90s or whatever, you had so much technology. Um, And so I was still kind of pressured to go into this broadcast long form and so it's only now that I'm really, really doing a lot more technology. Sorry, that was a complete ramble. I don't know if that answered your question. I mean, I guess where it came from was, um, oh, shit, I don't even know. We've just always done it. We always did it, and it just wasn't a choice. We just or have always been making films, and for me, I just I focused on it. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to know. Well, well, it's just like I, I get frustrated with all these people that's like, oh, you know, I, I, I wish I could follow my dream and do that. I think for me it's it's not about – it's just getting something done. And I think so much about everything I've done in my life has just been about getting it done, knowing how to work hard. It's not necessarily about having ambition. I'm actually a big advocate for not having any ambition because actually, to be honest, if I look back, if I, if I had a dream or if I had an ambition, it probably would have been to earn a living doing videos and filmmaking and moving to Melbourne, which was the city. Um, I, you know, we grew up, me and Chris grew up kind of on the outskirts of the city. And that was a big dream for me to have an apartment in the city and to be living. I never, ever would have imagined, like it wasn't within my imagination to be able to travel the world and, you know, now be living in Singapore and, you know, like it's too far out of my imagination. So actually, if by not having that ambition, not having that dream, you have a much more limitless potential. Um, and I'm a massive advocate for forgetting about that ambition and just find what you're, what you're willing to work as hard as possible for and just doing it. And then the opportunities come and then doors open and then you just keep building and you're just using a bit of that instinct and a bit of that common sense um, Business, you know, like I've never had the luxury of to be able to just kind of completely play around. Like you always have to have a business plan and say, okay, what can earn me money through doing what I love and working my ass off, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I don't believe in having a dream. I think you just need to kind of find something that you want to do and you just do it and relentlessly and work really hard and, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. rambling again. No, no, that's okay. It's, <laughs> you know, everyone has the same number of hours in the day. It's just how you choose to use those hours. Yeah, absolutely. At what point did you kind of realize that there was one a career potentially in front of you, and two one where you could combine technology and storytelling to really affect positive change in the world? I always wanted to, to do or, or share stories that were important. So that's something that I've always had. Um, I've always felt like it's there's so many stories that are out there that need to be told and, you know, from a traditional sense, like, you know, maybe that's a feature film or whatever, but I just really wanted to share these stories that no one had heard about. As I grew up, technology evolved obviously with me and I and I saw that actually it's a bit redundant now, you know, this 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 concept of a feature length film doesn't connect to me as a, as a consumer, me as an audience anymore. 
So that platform, I guess it's it's not really a decision or a pivotal moment. It's just something that's evolved. So I'm always evolving with the technology. You know, I mean, when Periscope came out, which was like the Twitter live video feed, I got so excited and kind of was using that and it kind of fizzled away because Twitter and Periscope wasn't a huge deal. And now I'm like obsessed with Facebook. And, and it's just like, it's not like one specific moment. I think technology has been evolving constantly throughout my life. And storytelling has remained this really, really crucial element of or, you know, or catalyst for change. And you see it now with what's happening in the world in a negative sense, you know, people are using media like in the US and all over the world where um, sharing their vision for negative means is so powerful. And the only way to really combat that is find the vision of the people that do want to do good or that have amazing ideas um, and try and promote those or share those stories. So, yeah, I don't know. There's no, there's no real pivotal moment. I think it's just been like an ongoing process. Yeah. Mm. What What is it for you about storytelling that you really relate to and that you find is a way of connecting people? I guess fundamentally, I'm an editor, so I'm a film editor, and yeah, film or whatever, whatever you want to call it. But like. Uh, from a background, having that skill set in terms of how to piece things together is basically just having a lot of complex information and being to compute that into a way that makes people excited or inspired or, you know what I mean, that kind of relates to them. Um, And having a good story is just, it's the only thing that matters. You know, like you can have the most amazing camera crew and te- like, you know, big RE cameras and be shooting 4K or whatever, and none of that matters. And honestly, like the films I've seen, maybe shot on phones or shot on whatever, that have an incredible story told well and are cut together well, I've seen the impact that that can have and how powerful that that is. And, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just storytelling for me. It's just always been something that's – you can see it. It's so powerful. I don't think there's anything like that. There's no other industry where you can have that much of an impact on someone than through sharing a really powerful story. Basically, we're all the same. Everyone on earth is the same. It's like there's this great documentary, The Overview Effect, and it's about the experience that astronauts in space have when they see Earth uh, for the first time from outside, you know, from looking down and seeing this little blue dot, you know. Yeah, I couldn't imagine what that uh, what that feeling would be like to kind of understand the significance or lack thereof that one person would have in that moment of kind of seeing the entire world from um, from that point of view of being outside of the Earth's atmosphere. Um, yeah, I, I'd like to read the, uh, a quote that I read that you uh, cited in a in a blog from a documentary filmmaker. Um, it's very simply put, one of the great needs, maybe certainly one of the greatest needs in our world is for us to know one another, to know what's really going on in the world around us and to feel a commonality of need and purpose with other people. People from different walks of life, other nationalities, other ethnic backgrounds, economic statuses, different philosophies and religions, we need to find a common bond with the rest of humanity and the documentary allows us to do that. It's a great quote. Uh, 
not something I was familiar with before, um, but it certainly, I think, encapsulates what you kind of strive to do, the kind of mission that you seem to be on. When did you make the decision, or maybe it wasn't like a, a conscious or regimented decision, but to leave Australia and to start working abroad? Oh, I mean, that was pretty much from, yeah, as soon as I finished kind of high school, I guess. I mean, I actually, I got a job offer when I was 16. I almost took it thinking, oh, I should go and get started and and start working. But um, I decided to stay and finish school um, first, uh, my year 12. So I was about 18 and I got a job in a, um, uh, an adventure clothing company in Australia called Mountain Designs. And they were really lovely. Had a lot of fun working with them, basically uh, working in this, you know, retail to be able to afford the discount they give all of their staff for all of their adventure and clothing company. And I think <laughs> once I had all of my sleeping bags and my gear and my kit, I was like, awesome, I've done you guys great sales. I've done, you know, my stuff. I've got my gear I need. And then, and then I was pretty much off. Um, and started making my first documentary. And it's funny, actually, because actually I was an editor and I, I just wanted to edit documentaries. And the first project I did was basically cutting together footage that a family had already had of traveling around the world and doing a climate change documentary. And I just didn't have enough footage and the story wasn't really there. And so the only reason I really ventured hardcore into filming and um, that whole other component was because I just couldn't afford a DP. So I started shooting um, to fix my edit. And based off that first kind of stint, um, I was then asked to continue filming and then one thing led to another and, you know, here I am in Singapore. Um, but, yeah, it was pretty much straight out of high school. But even within high school, I mean, I made some documentaries just even with my school friends. We did one on bullying when I was in maybe, you know, in year 10 or year 11. I mean, basically I just manipulated every single high school teacher I had to somehow <laughs> do a film instead of doing any work. Get in animation, stop motion animation in my science class. And, you know, basically like um, – yeah, documentary has just been a really fun way for me to just learn more about people. And that I think is really, really important. The more we all learn about each other, the more that we'll realize that, you know, all of these problems we think we don't know the answer to, we actually have. We just need to listen. Um, or we just need to share, you know, so that more people understand and more people know it. But, yeah, it was pretty much straight out of high school. How much did you invest in your career I suppose both from a time point of view and also from a financial point of view were when you were doing these uh these docos these initial ones anyway were was it something that you were you know you were you paying for your travel expenses out of your own pocket was it something that where you were sort of fortunate enough to have a small budget what was the kind of status for you at that point in time yeah, yeah. So I think, I mean, that's one of the big things that's really frustrating, I think, for a lot of young people starting out is there's a huge disconnect. Like there's a lot of people that want to start doing filmmaking and because they have the means, they can just go off and start making these films. It's really disheartening for people that really don't have that support or in Asia, especially, you know, parents, it's very difficult for Singaporean parents to understand their kids wanting to do something like film or documentary, especially documentaries. Um you know, so I am super lucky that I was in a family that, you know, really believed in what I was doing and didn't 
hold me back or want me to have that emotional stress. And I bring that up from a mental health perspective just because it is such a such a huge burden on so many young creatives in terms of starting out that they're so scared um, of, you know, should I do this or this? And actually, I, I don't really think that uh, anything in your career has much to do with your financial means. It really comes down to your kind of your mental strength or your mental support systems that you have around you. That That is everything. And if you have really, like, strong mental health support systems around you, the financial means will find their way. You know, like, basically, you just work hard and you find ways around that. So for me, yeah, I work, yeah, in my climbing uh, retail job. I was doing a lot of work with a lot of nonprofit organizations. So um, I worked with, uh, I mean, well-funded <laughs> nonprofit organizations like World Vision, um, which have huge advertising campaigns in Australia, like the 40-hour famine. Um, and so I was kind of lucky, I guess, because I didn't worry about earning money and I just kind of focused on doing the work. I became that person with that niche that does those jobs. Whereas I think if I'd focused too much on trying to build, you know, a company, I would have spent so much time doing, I don't know, marketing or whatever it is that you do and wouldn't have actually become good at the craft of storytelling and being able to get those jobs. So I think that's really important is, um, yeah, actually just doing the work. Like if you want to, if you want to become an animator, you know, you have to go out and, and start animating and start making projects. Um, and I think that's, once you do that, if you, I, I kind of have a thing in Singapore. I say if you have eight projects in your portfolio, you'll be able to find work. And until you have eight, you just basically hustle or you work for free or you do whatever you can until you've got eight projects that you're proud of. Um, and then, yeah, you'll be able to get freelancing. So for me, like for a lot of the climate change work I was doing, that was uh, funded through projects in between. So I would go on these crazy expeditions which were covering costs, but of course wasn't a lot of the time wasn't being paid when I was like 18, 19. And I would come back to Melbourne to do the project so it was kind of like a you know hopping back and forth um and then when I started the company in Singapore that was a kind of a side project for a banker in Singapore he just wanted to kind of do this one-off project and then that led into doing another project which led to another one that kind of led a company to approach us and say hey this is great value for our brand can you tell the story so um we built the business through the work and yeah, people see the value in that. Mm. So yeah, if you talk about how much time, I don't think that that's a question. I I don't I don't really believe in work life balance. Like me and my husband, we're really lucky that we both. He's a bit of in tech entrepreneurship world, and we both believe that you know it's not it's not about time, like how much time you put in something. It's about um yeah, enjoying and loving what you do, so that. It's, yeah, I mean, holiday is a really foreign concept to me. <laughs> vacation, <laughs> vacation or any of that kind of stuff. Like, I, I do believe you need to take care of yourself. But if you're in a really good mental state at the height of the stress of your work, that shows that you've got really good balance, you know what I mean? Or that you've got a really, that, that to me is most important. Mm, that seems to be a, a common trait with the Hawkings. Uh, holidays being <laughs> yeah, a foreign concept. <laughs> Yeah, we don't really. I mean, I did learn to work my ass off through Chris. That's definitely. I mean, he's, you know, he's not really human, so we can't really compare. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I definitely, I mean, he definitely inspired me to try as much as I can to work as hard as he does, but yeah, he's just nuts. <laughs> he certainly has a next level work ethic that, um, just seems to be unrelenting in an amazing way. I think it is, I mean, in a lot of ways, like, well, I, don't, I can't speak on his behalf, but I mean, I just, for both of us, I think we're just so grateful to be surrounded by so many amazing people that, um, that see, you know, what we want to do and want to get involved. And I think that's why I get so inspired is that, you know, all of these people that you're working with, that to me is enough to keep me working, you know, 24 hours or whatever, whatever needs to get done. Cause you just have all this, it's like this gratitude, you know, that that gives you this amazing ability to go way above and beyond what you thought was possible um, in terms of working hours or whatever it is. But yeah, we do actually love what we do. So, it helps. <laughs> that, that, that certainly helps. Uh, you've said a few times about making it about the work and, and uh, yeah, e- even just then in talking about Chris, talking about his work ethic. And I think that uh, certainly in any artistic endeavor, um, even if you are combining it with trying to you know, create sustainable change, it really has to be about the work. It can't be about sort of egotistical gains. What are some of the most important kind of uh, aspects or elements that you've discovered um, for telling a good story uh, that, that's both uh, articulate and effective? Okay, so I think there's a few things, or, or at least for me. I, this isn't about telling a good story. This is how I tell a good story. And I think that's really important to highlight because I think – you can tell amazingly powerful stories in different ways. And for example, you know, you have all of these YouTube stars now like Casey, you know, that do these crazy and he tells amazing stories in a completely different way than I would. So I think there are lots and lots of different ways. And I think that's, you know, as a storyteller, anyone out there just has to go out and find how they tell their best story. So that's one element is finding what you connect to as a storyteller that's that's super important so for me I mean the things that work for me is one one is um being really really authentic and having people or featuring really kind of almost character driven but like people driven stories that uh kind of push others out of their comfort zone that's been one common thread through everything I've done it's been these kind of unexpected kind of like normal people you know and maybe it's because I'm I've always seen myself like you know just normal people just doing crazy things or doing really, in, really inspiring things. You're getting like the first one, you're getting bankers to go on bike rides or getting like business people to climb mountains or, you know, just this kind of element of getting people out of their comfort zone. It's kind of what we need also to solve problems, right? We need people to start thinking outside the box and inspiring them. Um, and adventure as well is just a great engaging way to tell a great story. Everyone loves a good adventure story. So I always try to add a little bit of adventure into everything that I do just so that people get excited by it. Because if I just told a story about climate change, that will interest the academics and it will definitely interest the people that are concerned about our changing climate. But if I want to really get a mainstream audience, and that's something, again, that that's always been my goal is to really make kind of the blockbuster style stories or YouTube blockbuster stories. I I haven't quite figured out the genre yet, but um, you need to kind of have a bit of action, action and adventure in it. So yeah, for me, that's how I tell a good story is just authenticity, adventure and connecting to the average person to get outside of their comfort zone. 
And so how did, I mean, I, I know how late night films was kind of born. So I guess I'm interested to know how you kind of took that next step and how Gone Adventuring, you kind of alluded to how that sort of began and you mentioned earlier about the um, the family that you were sailing, making this documentary about sailing with. How did Gone Adventuring become a thing? Um, well, yeah, pretty much that. I mean, it was a guy working in a bank that um, wanted to get outside of his comfort zone and basically, you know, funded me to come and film this adventure that he was doing for charity. Very, you know, at the foundation, that's what it was. And I was expecting to make, you know, a YouTube video out of that and be the end of it. But it was just so damn cool. And I'd say the big, biggest character in that story was really the country we were in. So we were filming this story in East Timor. And I've had a passionate love affair with this country ever since. And it's just the country is such an incredible time of, you know, getting independence. It's, a, it's one of the poorest nations in Southeast Asia and um, just has this audacious, ambitious, like, spirit to just get back on its feet and become a powerful independent nation. And this bike ride through that country was just so full of hope and excitement and everything else. Anyway, so we, we made that story and it inspired a lot of people. And so when we did the screening in Singapore, there was a whole bunch of people that really wanted to get involved and kind of do another project. And um, so we kind of just did another, like a follow-up, I guess. The first one was Spinning Dreams. We kind of did like a Spinning Dreams 2. Uh, with twice as many people and this time I brought another filmmaker, a friend from late night um, or from Melbourne, um, Michael Lutman, who's a great documentary filmmaker as well. And at the screening of that project, that was when the company or a company family business approached us and said, hey, you know, this story or this way of what you're doing is really cool and why don't you come and make it for our company and we'll use this as a screening or whatever. And that kind of business model idea sparked. And... Yeah, so actually the first project was actually done under late night films. Actually, the first three, they were all kind of late night films projects. It wasn't until we really saw that business opportunity, I guess, in terms of working with corporates to use storytelling as a way to do sustainability and social impact and raise awareness that Gone Adventuring really kicked off. Um, and then over the last five years, you know, it's, it kind of it became a business and obviously there's a huge market now for sustainability and social impact kind of consulting and things like that. And yeah, I'm just getting out of that and just going back into the most important way to make a difference, which is really the storytelling side. Um, yeah. Recentering I think is, is something it's just like, okay, cool. Like we can, we can do consulting, but that's like, how do we really, how do we get the ideas that exist already and, and scale those? Because yeah, there's a lot of people coming up with ideas. There's a lot of consulting companies out there in the world. Um, it's about partnering those together so that they're more powerful or partnering different organizations together so they're more powerful. But, yeah, that's how, that's how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> did, you have, uh, did you have any fear when you started that? You may, maybe you're experiencing a similar thing now that you're beginning another chapter. Um, was there anything that scared you? I mean, obviously you're doing some... Uh, objectively speaking, batshit crazy things uh, in your adventuring <laughs> filmmaking world. That's not that's not very objective of you. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, uh, but 
you know, I suppose the filmmaking part of it's probably in a way kind of like the bread and butter almost. That's where that's where we're most comfortable, I I think. But when you were starting this kind of new endeavor, was there any fear uh, around it? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm shit scared all of the time, um, all the time. And like like I said, I think that's one of my biggest strengths and biggest weaknesses. It's like, yeah, I think all creative people are pretty much afraid all of the time. I'm just lucky that I see that and acknowledge that. I think the worst thing that people do to themselves is pretend that they're not scared or that they're not sad or that they're not, you know, like, again, being grateful, growing up, being really grateful to be able to express how I feel is really, really important. I'm shit scared all the time. Um, what are you scared so, of? Oh, everything. I'm a sook. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I grow up on Pixar, man. I cry and everything. No, I mean, I think to be on, like serious for a second, like, I mean, starting a company is really scary, especially if you're, you know, and I'm, I, I mean, even just like, you know, this month we're doing an eco film festival that we've started in Singapore. So the Singapore Environmental Film Festival or Singapore Eco Film Festival. And even for that, you know, I have to register a company and build that as a separate company. And even that's scary because, you know, any time that you go into a legal agreement with a bunch of people where there's a potential that, you know, you're going to be bringing money in and this is actually going to be a business and you're going to actually have to manage this and you're going to have cash flow and you're going to have staff and you're going to have, you know, that that stuff is terrifying if you're not, you know. Um, no, actually, I think it's terrifying for everyone. If you're not scared of that stuff, you're probably a pretty bad entrepreneur because <laughs> you, 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 should, you should be scared because um, that's what drives you. But it's about how you manage that and, and turn it into something positive. And I think that's really lucky like when, you know, with all of this last transitions the last few months, I've been really lucky to be surrounded by people that I've been, met, I've been able to channel that energy into something positive instead of channeling it into, you know, that paralysis of analyzing and overanalyzing and you know not doing anything essentially i've been able to stay away from that and like okay cool that's what's happening okay what am i doing next like how are we going to build this what's the next what am i doing tomorrow you know what i mean mm. and i'm not going to lie like i have to do a little plug here i mean my whole life relies on technology like asana and software management so i use i do use a lot of hacks to be able to do that and that it's great for getting over the fear of doing it. But, yeah, no, I'm scared about everything <laughs> all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to have a pragmatic approach to find ways to practically deal with it to kind of move forward and not let it kind of consume you and overcome you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think actually and it's probably relevant. I don't know who, who, who listens to the podcast, but I'm hoping that there's a few filmmakers out there. I mean, hell, just the fact that, you know, that that industry of even just corporate videos, man, like there's no, that whole, and in Asia especially, there are people making really awesome content for a couple of hundred dollars now, you know, and there's this software that, that can do that for you now. So that whole disruption of industries and evolution of industries, like that's scary if you're, if you're daily bread and if, especially, I mean, I'm lucky in a way because I don't have any kids and family, but if you're supporting a family of a company that relies off, you know, making big money doing either music composition or that's that that's stuff super scary. So you just need to find a way to channel channel your energy into being innovative and riding with it and evolving and being open to change and being open to adapting. Um, yeah, otherwise you'll just yeah you will fail and that that will be hard. So, yeah. Hmm. 
What, what is that? Which filmmaker was that quote? There's a quote by um, was it? I think it was James Cameron. He's like, failure is always an option. Um, I haven't but, heard yeah, it, but should... I love it. Yeah, it's something like that. It's like, like yeah, failure is always an option. Was it? Was it a uh, Henry Ford that said, "If you think you can, or if you think you can't, either way, you're right." Yeah, exactly, hundred percent. And I, I'm a big fan of support networks, having people around you that don't drag you down, and that actually, you know, that um, that you know, keep you on track. The pull, like, especially if you're going to be an entrepreneur and you are successful, that's actually the most dangerous position you can be in. You know, when when you know when you start to really see some success or money or you you know you start to actually become like an entrepreneur and you're speaking at engagements and you're getting this massive head that's your most dangerous point like having those people around you that can bring you back down to earth and say you know what you've got a lot of work to do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got a long way to go sister like, like you know you, like that's great you can celebrate that but at the end of the day you've got it you've got to get back to work yeah and it, and it doesn't stop you know that's that's for me, mental health is about the people you surround yourself with. And it can be, yeah, it's as important about the people you choose not to spend time with as well. Mm. What What does success look like for you? <sighs> Solving all of the world's problems. Um, <laughs> no, just I, just I that small I issue. <laughs> yeah, just, my, just a few, I think 17 small ones. Um, no, well, to me, it's about... Uh, yeah, it, yeah. Actually, coincidentally, it's the same thing. It's about the people you surround yourself with. If I look around myself and every single person standing in the room is more, you know, inspiring and awesome and, and smarter and, you know, if you've got to that position where you're looking around and you're like, how the hell did I get in this room? That to me is success. It's like you've managed to, um, I guess, build the people around you or support. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it's just like so much of everything I do relies on other people. I actually don't do that much. And I'm, I guess every filmmaker feels the same way, right? Like you're just one piece of a huge part of everything that happens. So yeah, success for me is having everyone in your team, just feeling really proud of what they're doing and coming to work every day. And, um, but yeah, global goals, man, 2030, we've got 17. Need to solve them by then. <laughs> what are the What are the seventeen? Have you heard of the seventeen UN global goals? No, I haven't. Oh, I really? should look I it up though. So yeah, in two thousand fifteen, the UN decided there's about seventeen things that everyone on Earth kind of needs to figure out. Um, and so one is no poverty, one is no hunger, one is good health, good education, gender equality. Uh, clean water and sanitation, renewable energy, good jobs and economic growth, innovation infrastructure, reduced inequalities, um, sustainable cities, uh, responsible consumption, climate action, life below water, life on land, peace and justice and partnerships. So those 17 things are like, you know, the UN's kind of figured out, okay, pretty much everything revolves around these goals and giving people a framework to go out and start working on them. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm really focused on Global Goal 5, which is around gender equality, just because I've seen that a lot of the initiatives around social work has come from women. So I just feel like if I can get more women to be inspired to make films, especially, I mean, the film industry is terrible in terms of equal pay and everything else. When it comes. And documentaries, there's a lot of women, but they're not often in the same level. And, you know, there's huge gender issues in, in filmmaking. 
So, yeah, again, sorry, rambling. I'm just like going off on a little thing. But, yeah, global goals is definitely something that everyone should be checking out. It's kind of like the if you don't feel like you have a purpose, well, congratulations, now you do because this is basically <laughs> everyone, this, is, this is everyone's global purpose because if we don't figure this stuff out with, you know, yeah. Mm. Mars it is. <laughs> Mar- Mars it is. We'll go and build a small commune and ruin oh, that planet exactly. as well. <laughs> yeah. Now you've uh you know, you've travelled around a lot of the world and done some amazing work. You you've probably seen some amazing communities uh where some really great things are being done versus I suppose some other communities where there's a lot more assistance required or uh where, you know, probably even you know first world countries where the focus where where it's more self-focused as opposed to community focused what are some of the kind of common traits that you've seen in these communities uh where where things are more positive where the work is being done to kind of create a better future and 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 perhaps uh go after some of these um these 17 things yeah yeah i mean i think the one consistent thing um, that I've seen everywhere is that all the best solutions come from the ground. All the best ideas are locally driven solutions. So you might have the most money in the world, you might have the most advanced technology systems in the world, but unless it is literally coming from the ground up from that local community or unless it's in deep partnership with the local people that are there, it's just not going to fly. So that's one consistent thing I've seen everywhere around the world and a mistake I've seen again and again and again and again is people thinking that they have these great ideas but not actually just looking around them. You know, like if everyone just stopped trying to save everywhere else <laughs> and just had a look at their own village and, you know, and, and Melbourne is is equally as guilty as Nairobi, you know, like you go into a lot of countries in Africa or you go to, you know, Kenya, Tanzania, and it's the same problem. You have all of these communities that are just kind of expecting someone else to fix these problems. Um, and then you go to Melbourne, it's the same thing. And, and, and so much, you know, so many people are trying to look outwards to fix problems and even for themselves as well. You know, they might their life might be a mess, but they're trying to help someone else and it's just not going to work. Like people need to first, you know, make sure that they themselves are you know, they're living, they're, they're what they want to see in the world. You know, they're, they're an example of the kind of people that should be on this planet and be grateful for being on this planet. And then once they've figured that out, then they can go and inspire others to get to that same, you know, existence or whatever you want to call it. You know what I mean? Like so many times people are looking outwards when we need a lot more focus about looking internally and then looking within your own community. What can, how can you help your next door neighbor? How can you help your, your local like refugees? You know, there's so many people that need a home. Um, in the world, everywhere. How can we support these communities locally? And yeah, I think way too much effort and money is being spent outwards instead of just spending in. At the same time, like absolutely, if you can go and support other places, like you know, from a developing nation, and you've got a ton of money, and you want to go out and help somewhere, that's fantastic. But you have to go and partner with with local communities. So it's driven, you know, it's driven by local organizations i mean i can rant about that for a long time um but yeah it's it's really about yeah empowering people to help themselves instead of coming in as like the savior that's one thing that i've seen pretty much everywhere across the board 
Mm. No more Jesuses. <laughs> I mean, it's every, it's every, it's every culture. I mean, we were having a great chat. Um, I was in Singapore as I was speaking engagement. I was chatting to a guy who was a refugee actually, and had kind of come and and settled down in Melbourne. An awesome poet and author and super successful guy and. Even he was saying, you know, oh, it's such a shame that no one's looking to my community to support them. And I'm like, come, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, when are people going to stop expecting that someone else is going to fix the problems of the world? Like, what are you doing? You know, and I don't care who you are or where you're from or what your background is. Like, what are you doing? That's like, that's, everyone has that ability. And you might be in a different space and you might not be able to right now. And that's fine. But being aware of what you're, you know, what potential you have and how lucky you are, I think is really, really important. Yeah, taking responsibility and, and having gratitude are certainly certainly uh, two attributes that I'm trying in my life to, to kind of practice and not placing... I think what you're saying is not placing blame externally, taking responsibility for your role in the world and understanding that you or that we, or that I have the power and the ability to make choices to determine an outcome. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. And I mean, especially in, in companies, you know, like these huge companies, they think that because they're a big multinational organization, like they're never going to change and, oh no, I just, it's just my job. And outside of my job, I do all of this amazing work. And it's like, these companies are just made up of millions of people like you, <laughs> you know, like every people, like these companies are not machines. They are just individual people coming together to, you know, increase shareholder value for some guy somewhere. So like collectively, if everyone can work together to reform and innovate the way that these companies run, um, it's totally possible. It's always possible to make these changes. You just, yeah, you just need to be aware and wake up and take ownership of, of that. Hmm. Be the change that you want to see in the world. What do you think? Totally. Uh, what a cliche. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful, beautiful cliche. Um, what do you think the meaning of life is? I think it's love. And I could be fluffy and answer that in a long way, but I, I honestly think it's love. And I mean that in from business, from personal relationships, everything. It's just love. And... To me, that's really the foundation of, you know, this new company I'm starting up is um, uh, with Stephanie Arrowsmith, a girl from Jakarta in Melbourne who's awesome. Actually, she, I don't think she's from Melbourne. I think she's in Perth. Anyway, uh, half, half Australian, half from Indonesian. And both of us, when we're building this new company, we're like, okay, cool. We need to build a company because that's the structure of society, whatever, of how you run business. But realistically, what we're doing is we're building a vision together that we want to see happen. And we want to help other people get that vision, you know, out there. And and really that vision is just, you know, we're not going to put this on our brochure, but it's about love. Like it's about teaching people to take care of one another and to take care of each other means to taking care of our environment, um, innovating in a way that's going to be more sustainable for the future. So, yeah, it's, the meaning of life is finding real love with yourself especially, Um Falling in love with yourself, falling in love with your partners, falling in love with the world, falling in love with nature, falling in love and just having that love and excitement and passion for everything that you do. Um, yeah. Again, super lucky that, you know, 
I, I, I'm able to see that way because I think it's something that, you know, a lot of people, it's really, really hard. But when you've seen others, you know, go through the most horrendous, you know, life situations and traumas and journeys, and especially when you travel to some countries and you hear their stories, I mean, it's so heartbreaking. And to see them so damn full of love. <laughs> and it's like, okay, cool, that's it. That's the purpose of life. All of that other stuff doesn't matter as long as you, you know, you love each other. So, mm. oh, <laughs> That's awesome. What, what, what is love for you? What is love? I think it's respect for me. Um, looking at someone else and just being in awe, you know, and being like, God, like, I mean, respect in the true, real, passionate sense, you know, like, I respect you. Like, I love the work that you're doing, or I love what you're trying to do or trying to be or whatever. So yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, from a personal relationship point of view, I saw someone was sharing a cute picture saying that love is when the other person thinks that they got the better half of the deal. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's also true with business partners as well. Finding someone that you both kind of, you're not analyzing who's better than who. You both kind of think that the other person, you know, it's like, shit, what are they doing? Why are they with me? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I think that's, um, yeah, that's, to me, that's love. It's just when you just, you're, you're just humbled by the people that you're with. And yeah. That's awesome. Sorry. Oh, please. Rambling don't again. Don't apologize. <laughs> I hope you will continue to uh, connect and spread your love through your storytelling and through your craft and, and the amazing work that you're, that you're doing for the world. And, uh, and I thank you so much for uh, taking the time to have a, have a good old-fashioned ramble with me. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I end every conversation with the same one question. It's pretty much the only standard question I have, and that is, what makes you silly? Oh, everything. My sense of humor. Actually, my, you know, can I answer that as a person? Yeah, it can be, it can be whatever you want, man. This is a podcast. We can do whatever the hell we want. <laughs> what makes me silly is probably my best friend, Samantha Bell, um, who is just ridiculously silly. And we just have ridiculously silly fun together. And I think... That is just the most beautiful thing in life. It's just not taking yourself too seriously, not taking any of this too seriously because it's just it's just too much fun you're going to miss out on. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, Samantha, Samantha Bell makes me ridiculously silly and we call each other and send each other gifts and sit on Google Hangouts making funny use of all of the gifts and costumes and emoticons and stickers and I don't know. The internet and Samantha Bell are the two things that make me very, very silly. <laughs> Good old Sammy and a, bit of, and a little bit of Beyonce too. Beyonce, Beyonce makes me pretty silly. Oh, yeah? I often get very silly. It's silly in terms of, you know, preaching Queen Bee to my friends and setting up, you know, religious ceremonies to preach her work. <laughs> it, it makes me silly. But I do have a passionate love affair with Beyonce as well. So... That's my silly side coming out. Beyonce and Sammy Bell. Yeah. Oh, hearing those two things together is hilarious. Yes. Thank you so much, Jackie. All right. Thanks, Al.